Hi, I'm Deb Hunter, and welcome to All Things Tudor, the podcast that blows the dust off the history books and brings the world of the Tudors roaring back to life. Each episode will bring you awesome guests and topics, stories, and revelations. The power, the sex, the scandals, the romance, and the ruthlessness. So join me, and together we'll pull back the curtain and discover the real lives of the Tudors. Hi, and welcome to All Things Tudor. I'm Deb Hunter, and today our very special guest is the author and historian, Nicola Tallis. Nicola, how are you today? I'm really good. Thank you, Deb. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to chat to you today. It's such a pleasure to have you here. I want to get right into it, if you don't mind. Your book about Margaret Beaufort absolutely blew my mind, and I want to know everything about it. Yeah, so I started my journey with Margaret Beaufort actually probably back in about 2013, which was the year that I began researching for my doctorate. And the subject of that was the jewellery collections of the Yorkist and early Tudor queens. Now, of course, Margaret wasn't a queen, although in many ways she behaved like one. I'll come back to that. But I was using Margaret as a point of comparison, really. So I got the chance to have a look at some of her jewel payments that she'd been making. And, you know, there's also a couple of inventories of her jewels. At that time, I kind of bookmarked her, I guess, and thought, okay, she's really interesting. I'm going to come back to this at some point. And then in 2017, my editor suggested her as a subject for a biography and at first I wasn't hugely keen because I'd watched The White Queen (laughs) like a lot of other people and also I sort of felt like she was maybe Margaret was a bit boring which probably a lot of people who hear me say that and say are you crazy she's she's not boring and of course she's not boring when I came to actually start researching her life properly she's very far from boring and before long I came to really like her I suppose in some ways I did have preconceptions about her having watched The White Queen even though I know that that is historical fiction and so I was sort of surprised in some ways to find that actually I quite liked her and that I feel that she is a character who has been and continues to be very greatly misunderstood. And I think that part of that is because of her surviving portraits, which primarily show her in later life, on her knees in prayer, and they're not particularly flattering images of her. But actually, when you come to look at her account books, and we're very, very lucky to have this material for Margaret's life, so her account books are kept in the archives of St John's College, Cambridge. So a college of Margaret's own foundation, founded in 1511, two years after her death. And these sources, I think, are are really a saviour for Margaret herself. 
and her reputation and anyone studying her because they do paint a very different picture of her. And what I came to see very quickly was that this was a woman who cared very greatly about her family, her friends, her servants, the people around her. She cared and she spent money on showing that she cared. She was also a woman who really liked to have fun. And that's something that I think people sometimes can't quite get their heads around. Margaret Beaufort and the concept of having fun don't naturally go together when you look at her portrait. But actually, Margaret, she absolutely loved to be entertained and her accounts really show this side of her personality. We know that she ordered red and white wine in quite large quantities. We know that she loved to gamble. She loved cards. She was known to place bets on the outcomes of games of chess. And she also had two falls. So this was a woman who she enjoyed the finer things in life. She liked to be entertained and she wasn't afraid of spending money on being entertained. So for me, it didn't take very long to see a completely different woman emerging from the archives to the one that we see in her portraits. So I think really it is true and fair to say that those portraits of Margaret in later life certainly have a role, a quite important role to play actually in our views of Margaret and, you know, and our perceptions of her. But also she was a very, very strong family orientated woman. Her family meant a great deal to her, particularly, of course, her son, Henry Tudor, later Henry VII. I think it's true and fair to say that Henry was the real love of Margaret's life and most, if not all, aspects of her life really revolved and centred around Henry. And later, when Henry came to the throne and married Elizabeth of York and had children of his own, Margaret loves and enjoys spending time with her grandchildren as well. And again, these accounts of hers, they provide very sweet, actually, insights into her relationships with her grandchildren and you can see the sorts of presents that she was buying them you know she was buying clothes for Henry future Henry VIII of course and his elder brother Arthur she was ordering brooches for Princess Margaret and for Henry as well so this was a woman to whom family meant a great deal so I think all in all that Margaret has been given a bad press in many ways. But actually, when we look at the surviving sources for her life, there's most certainly a different woman to the one that we see in popular culture who emerges. And I think that it's a great privilege, actually, to be able to see that material and then tell that slightly different story, I think. So do you believe media is what has changed people's perception of her? Yeah, I think so. I think we're all highly influenced by popular culture and media. And I think it's quite interesting because when I was researching and writing the book, I had the great privilege of being able to speak to Mike Jones, who, together with Malcolm Underwood, wrote 
what's probably the best biography of Margaret ever written. And it's really interesting because when I was talking to him and he was telling me that when he and Malcolm were researching and writing their book, the idea of Margaret as this villain, as this possible child killer who murdered the princes in the tower, it just wasn't even a thing when they were working on their book. And, you know, therefore it's not covered in their book. Whereas... With the emergence of the White Queen, you know, the Red Queen as well, this whole idea of Margaret as being responsible for the disappearance of the princes in the Tower has really come to the fore. And I think she does divide modern day opinion, really. You either kind of do either love her or hate her. And that is one of the questions I'm asked most frequently now when I give talks about Margaret is, well, did she kill the princes in the tower? So it's quite interesting that even in the space of, you know, a couple of decades, a few years really, between when Mike Jones and Malcolm Underwood were writing their book and when I was writing mine, how the impact that that has had on Margaret's reputation, you know, in popular culture, that people now even consider her as a possible candidate for removing the princes in the tower. And I should just say, actually, that the first reference to Margaret being in any way involved dates from about 100 years or so after her death. So there's not a shred of contemporary evidence that links her with this, but it is something that, in the eyes of some, has really tarnished her reputation. And as I say, in many ways, cast her as this pantomime villain who ordered the deaths of two children and there just isn't any contemporary evidence to support that theory so while I think in many ways that popular culture and and the media is good for drawing people in and making people or giving people an interest in history generally and particular characters I think that it has to be accepted for what it is which is drama and if it encourages people to go and find out more about that subject or about that person, then I think that that's a brilliant thing. But if it's taken as gospel fact and truth, then that's when we run into difficulties. And unfortunately, that's something that we've seen with Margaret. That's so true. I have to ask you, you mentioned her portraits. Do you believe that's part of what I call the Tudor persona, that that's how she wanted herself portrayed? And that's how she wanted herself remembered. Yeah, I definitely think that Margaret had a hand in that for sure, because she was very, very pious and she cared very greatly you know, about her faith was very important to her. So, yes, I do think that her being depicted in that way was part of her own conscious image creation. But I think, again, it's also important to point out that This was a woman who, contrary to the portrait, she had the most fabulous wardrobe and she had material for dresses in all sorts of different colours. So she was a woman who very much liked finery. She loved luxury items and she spent very heavily on luxury items. And even later in her life, when her eyesight began to suffer and she was forced to use spectacles more often. Even these were made from gold, and so were the cases. So, yes, I do think that the image was partly 
created by Margaret on purpose to show her as being pious. But I also think that there was this other side to her that we are less familiar with. Those are all good points. And you brought something out in your book that really struck me. You mentioned that Margaret structured some of the ceremonies and traditions that are currently used by your monarchy. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Margaret was someone who was always at the forefront of court ceremonial. And she reportedly walked just half a pace behind the Queen, Elizabeth of York, which drew comment. And, you know, she's always listed after the Queen in contemporary documents. So there's no doubt that she was, aside from the King and Queen and their children, she was the most important person in the realm. Everybody knew that she was very close to the King. Everybody who wanted to curry Henry's favour knew that Margaret was there and she had this important role to play at court. And yeah, she was very keen on etiquette. She knew the importance of outward display in terms of impressing contemporaries and creating this whole image of magnificence. So she was very, very keen There are some people who would say that actually she had been responsible for introducing these ordinances to the way that the royal household was run, including the way in which the Queen gave birth and, you know, what the room had to look like and so on and so forth. But actually, more recent research has shown that Margaret probably wasn't responsible for that. Although, as somebody who did have a keen awareness of etiquette, it wouldn't surprise me if in some ways she had had some hand in pushing this to the forefront. But she was somebody who cared very much about ceremonial and the way in which things looked. And she was also actually a lady of the garter, which I think is quite interesting and quite often overlooked. So order of the garter, which is, of course, the highest order of chivalry in England. Margaret was made a lady of the garter. Interestingly, I learnt this recently, in St George's Chapel in Windsor, there are stool plates to all of the knights of the garter. What's quite interesting, I learned, is that there aren't stool plates to any of the ladies of the garter, which is a bit of a shame, really. But yes, she was certainly hugely important in terms of the court and its structure. Everybody knew her importance, and that was exactly as Margaret wanted it to be, really. Also, as Henry allowed it to be. It's really fascinating information. Thanks for that. The Boleyns, a scandalous family, an epic tale of hubris and ambition. They're all here, Thomas Boleyn and his three children, Mary, Anne and George. Elizabeth I also makes an appearance. The show premieres on PBS on Sundays, August 28th, September 4th and September 11th. Also available on the PBS video app. Special thanks go to Georgia Public Broadcasting for their support of all things Tudor. What's the one thing you learned about her that blew your mind? Oh, (laughs) that's such a good question. I don't know if I would say that this blew my mind exactly, but it was something that in some ways kind of surprised me. In some ways I find a bit sad, which it really struck me that 
I was saying earlier about how Margaret's son, I think, was the true love of her life. And something that really kind of hit me was that I don't feel that throughout her life, Margaret ever really experienced true love on a romantic level. So I think that primarily her marriages were made for political advantage, social advantage. And we know that she had a happy marriage with Henry Stafford and he was the most successful of her marriages in personal terms. They celebrated their wedding anniversary each year. They travelled together regularly. So we know that that marriage was very happy. But whether Margaret was in love with him or not, who knows? I suspect probably not. And so... Yeah, I mean, I guess by the standards of the time, obviously finding love wasn't a priority. But it did strike me as being quite sad in some ways that her whole life was spent trying to keep her son safe, later trying to elevate him to the throne and then trying to help him rule. And there doesn't seem like there was much left for Margaret for herself. So, yeah, I guess I did find that quite mind-blowing in some ways, that she never really had that romantic connection with somebody. That's true. And can you explain how she was able to keep her fortune, even though she was married so many times? Yeah, of course. So, really, it was because of her marriages in, in some ways, because each marriage bought with it new things but also she was the sole legitimate heiress of her father John Beaufort Duke of Somerset so that in itself bought with it a great deal of land and property and Margaret was very possessive of her land and property in fact they were a really integral part of her identity she was hugely possessive and she never let a debt slide. <laughs> she was always keen to pursue what was owed to her, which I think is part of the reason she comes to be so rich. But also, yeah, as I say, I think particularly when she married Thomas Stanley and this brought her into contact with the court of Edward IV and suddenly there are greater opportunities for advancement and she is within time shown favour by the king and queen and of course it does kind of go badly wrong for her with the discovery of the Buckingham Rebellion in 1483 because her fortune is then taken from her by Richard III and given over into the custody of her husband Thomas Stanley but fortunately for Margaret that all changed when her son became king because he wasted no time in restoring this to her no doubt with a little nudge from his mother but in the first parliament of Henry's reign which took place in November so Battle of Bosworth in August first parliament in November and Margaret was immediately declared a femme soul or a soul person, which gave her full and sole control of her estates, all returned to her now. And this meant that she now had the power to act without her husband's, you know, she didn't need him. She could act independently without his authority or approval. And 
It was a pretty much unprecedented move at this time, to be honest, because femsole status was not usually granted to married women. So this really, I think, serves to underline the power and the influence that Margaret had, all because her son had now become king. And as Henry's reign progresses, that wealth increases. She's granted more and more lands and property, These all command a rent. And she was very shrewd with money as well. When you look at her account books, she signed pretty much every page of them personally. And there are hundreds and hundreds of pages. So she was a woman who, she kept a close eye on her finances and she knew where her money was going right down to the last penny. She was formidable, wasn't she? Absolutely. Yeah, formidable is a really good way of describing her. Although I've sort of tried to highlight that there was a more likeable side to her character, what I should say is, don't get me wrong, by no means was this woman perfect. She was formidable and there's lots and lots that we can admire about her. But also she's someone that you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of. She was like a dog with a bone when it came to pursuing what she believed to be rightfully hers. And as I said, she never let a debt slide. So yeah, you know, she was formidable. She was tireless. She was busy founding Christ's College in Cambridge in the early 1500s when many others may have been in retirement at that time, but not Margaret. And her accounts show just how much of her time and energy she was putting into this foundation all for the benefit of others. So yeah, absolutely, she was extremely formidable. But yeah, by no means perfect. She had the same flaws and imperfections that we all have. Just human. Thank you for pointing that out. It's history, but we have to remember they were all human, weren't they? Absolutely. And I think it's so easy when we are reading books about people to forget that and to forget that these people who were living hundreds of years ago were living, breathing people who made the same mistakes as we still make today. And sometimes they made good choices, other times they made bad choices. And really, at the end of the day, we don't really know any of them. And we can never really know any of them. We only know as much as the sources allow us to know, which often is just a glimpse into an individual. Absolutely. I have to ask you, what do you have planned for the future? What do I have planned for the future? Well, I'm really, really, really busy at the moment, which is good. Yes, I've got quite a lot on over the next year and it's very busy. (laughs) You can probably see because I've got huge dark circles under my eyes. I've got a new book out in November, which is called All the Queen's Jewels, 1445 to 1548 Power, Majesty and Display. And that is based on my doctorate. So it's all about the Queens of the Wars of the Roses and the early Tudor Queens up to Catherine Parr. And it looks at the jewels that they owned, the jewels that they wore, the jewels that they gave and received and how they used them. So I'm really nervous but excited about that because it's something that's very close to my heart and that I've been working on for 
nine years really so a long time and I'm hugely passionate about it but yeah nervous at the same time so that's coming up and then all being well as in hopefully I get it finished in time (laughs) I've got another book which is due out I think next autumn so I'm not allowed to divulge that at the moment partly also because I haven't got a title for it yet (laughs) but it is another Tudor book so that's quite exciting so yeah hopefully that will be out next autumn so yeah I guess up until kind of this time next year I'll be quite busy and after that I don't know (laughs) I take each day very much as it comes so yeah we'll see but very lucky to have two books coming out soon so yeah it's been a busy time but a really good time and a really interesting time it sounds like it and i want to thank you very much for being my guest today and explaining margaret to us a little better allowing us to see the human side behind the theories and the talk and i just can't thank you enough for this it's been great oh no thank you it's been a huge privilege and a pleasure it's been really lovely to chat to you so thank you so much for having me well thank you and you'll have to come back next year when your tutor book comes out yes please you know people are going to want that as well oh thank you no i'd be delighted to okay well thank you and have a great day Thank you so much, Deb. Take care. You've been listening to All Things Tudor. My thanks go to listeners, my husband, and my team. If you like what you hear, leave a review, follow wherever you get your podcast, and share with your friends to help others find the show. Join the All Things Tudor Facebook community to connect with tens of thousands of Tudor history lovers. You can also connect with me across social media at the Deb ATL. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch y'all later.